The Apartment Rebellion will not be televised. Resident experience will be more than a buzzword. Staff experience will finally matter. It's happening right now. It's in the hands of the doers, the innovators, the boundary pushers, who are moving the industry forward, just like the people on this show. This is the Apartment Rebels podcast, hosted by Flamingo CEO Jude Chi. Welcome, friends of the rebellion, and may the force be with you. So welcome to uh, the latest episode of uh, Flamingo's Apartment Rebels podcast. Um, so today, really excited to have Ben Adler, uh, Director of Business Development at Resprop uh, Management. So randomly ran into Ben at the NMHC annual meeting a couple of weeks ago, and we had a really good conversation. So I thought he would be someone really interesting to bring um, on the podcast because at Resprop, they do things a little bit differently than other property management companies. And Ben has a whole lot of experience across the board. So I thought um, you would be a really cool person to um, kind of get to know a little bit. Uh, so Ben, welcome. Thanks, Jude. Yeah, um, it was an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you at NMHC. I actually for those out there, I, I interrupted Jude and he was having a great conversation with the crew. And I was like, man, the vibes over there, they just, they feel great. <laughs> I could yes. feel them from across the room. So I, I wanted to uh, go interrupt and get to know you guys a bit, but yeah, it was, it was a pleasure meeting you as well. And yeah, so I guess I'll just dive into a little bit about myself. Yeah, um, I'm curious, how did you get started in the industry? What? How did you end up in multifamily? Yeah, I could ask you the same thing coming from <laughs> Dartmouth and pre-med. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's funny, man. I, I actually, I come from three generations of real estate attorneys. And I knew real estate, you know, is something that I, I wanted to get in. I didn't know how or, or, or when or what I was exactly I was going to do. And so... I joined uh, ResProp upon graduation as part of our leadership development program. Um, you know, I think that's we're going to talk a little bit today about how we do property management differently. And I think there's a talent crisis today. And I think this uh, the leadership development program that I joined uh, is, is one way that we're kind of mm -hmm. attempting to solve that that talent crisis. Um, so I joined uh, in 2016 had no idea what I was getting into. Um, you know, I, I started as a leasing consultant at a property in Tampa, Florida. Um, and I did that. I did property management for about eight or nine months uh, before rotating into another role where I started to work on some higher level operations with alongside the C-suite here at ResProp. Uh, at that point in time, I, I that's kind of when I started to diversify and, and learn a bit about all the tech that is out there. One of my main duties at that point in time was to research technology companies and uh, see what the best you know, potential fits for our portfolio was at that time. Um, so uh, from there, I we actually launched a tech incubator. Um, and you know, so this tech incubator is, is part of what, it, what we are calling the Rex ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, under um, ResProp is one of the companies under the Rex ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so this tech incubator uh, was a really great opportunity for me to really scratch that entrepreneurial itch. Mm -hmm. um, so I took a, a brief break from the property management world um, from 2018 to 2020 and started four different companies. Wow. Um, yeah, those four different companies had a little something to do with prop tech and, and real estate operations. Uh, one of which was an office concierge startup. Uh, I ran a tech B&B startup, which uh, was similar to Sonder, where we were turning uh, apartment units onto the short-term rental market. Um, and then another one was a tech-enabled general contracting company, where the goal was to outsource 100% of our maintenance and construction requests um, to 1099 labor. Um, and then COVID hit. We uh, we started to scale that that GC company mm -hmm. uh, to 10 million year over year revenue. And uh, when COVID hit, we kind of 
all were thrown for a whirl, um, as I'm sure you were as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I, I we, we decided to peel back um, the onion a bit on our tech stack and uh, you know, really focused heavily on third-party management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of when ResProp was born. And, and from there, over the last three years, we've been really heavily growing in, in Texas and Florida. Mm-hmm. And we just launched into South Carolina. Um, and we're trying to bring this tech forward owner approach mm-hmm. to property management. Um, you know, the, too too often, I think our property managers kind of the scapegoats in this situation, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's either if things are going really well, it's a great market. Yeah. yeah, it's a great market to buy in. It's a great market to be in. If things are going really poorly, mm-hmm. property manager sucks. Yeah. Uh, so it's a thankless job, but it's something that we're really passionate about because I think that's where you can really move the needle in the yeah. is through property management. So you've uh, touched on a couple of really key things that I want to kind of dive a little bit deep into. So from our conversation, I remember you, you spoke about that leadership development program that Resprop really utilizes to get people into the multifamily industry. The reason why I like that so much is because I have spoken with probably thousands of property managers and in 99.9% of situations, none of them mentioned, hey, I got into property management because I knew a great property manager or it was a dream that I had. It's always, hey, I needed a place to stay and I saw an ad and I just kind of jumped into it. So I love that Prop is really taking a proactive approach to develop talent. So can you speak a little bit more about how the program is structured and how, what kind of talent it has um, basically like grown besides yourself, obviously? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a great question. I You're talking to the right guy because I actually lead the program today. Mm-hmm. Um, so the leadership development program, we call it the biz tech program. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of morphing the worlds between business and technology within mm-hmm. real estate. Uh, the purpose of the program is to really uh, propel and, and, and push forward uh, young people's careers uh, within multifamily. As you kind of alluded to, um, you know, historically, the way that people get into property management is mm-hmm. like, they lease at an apartment. They're like, oh, this is interesting. I, I never knew that people actually worked at these things. Or my aunt works at this property and she could get me a job as a leasing consultant when I was 17 years old. And then 10 years later, I'm a property manager. Um, so yeah, we have a, a different take. So the way that the program is structured is uh, the requirements are you have to have a four-year degree from a university. Um, Typically, we try to um, focus heavily on regional universities uh, mm-hmm. within the markets in which we operate. Um, so, for instance, UT, Texas A&M, Texas State, uh, University of Houston, um, UTSA um, in Texas, and then for Florida, USF, UCF, UF, mm-hmm. FSU, uh, UNF, Miami, um, Miami-Dade. Wow. Um, and so really forging those relationships with those universities in order to have a good pipeline of, of people come through the door. Um, and then, yeah, so the way that I kind of sell the program uh, when I talk to recruits is, you know, hey, this is, a, this is a leadership development rotational program. We want you to jump into multifamily operations. Um, you know, it, it's critical, it's absolutely critical that anyone who really wants to elevate with this in, within this industry yeah. starts in operations. They have to understand the inputs that go into the daily the daily job, right? Um, if you ever want to be a, an acquisitions person or an asset manager or an owner, um, you know, or even on the tech side like you, yeah, you know, I, I would urge you guys to you know to have a little something there. Or yeah. at, at, it sounds like you've done your due diligence in speaking with thousands of people. So you probably know pretty well what the scope is, but otherwise they, they may never have that experience. So, 
I really sell them on, you know, learning operations first and foremost. So that's where everyone starts. Everyone starts in ops. And I usually say about a minimum of six months in operations as a leasing consultant. Um, each month we layer in uh, learning projects and, mm -hmm. and case studies uh, to that. I actually, I host a, a monthly session with all, all the uh, associates within the BizTech program um, to cover a topic. So this last month we covered Grit, mm -hmm. um, the book, um, and, and it, was, it was a great conversation where I actually had the director of our central services team come in and lead that discussion. Um, and it was a great opportunity to just, you know, everyone took the, the grit scale, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of learned about where their grit stood. And, you know, I think if anyone in property management, uh, they probably all tell you that whether or not they know what grit is defined as, they, they have it because yeah. multifamily operations is tough. It's a uh, tough industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, so it's a two-year program. Um, all all associates start in operations um, and monthly assignments that are comprised of entrepreneurship, um, leadership principles, and uh, and multifamily real estate. So, um, you know, last, the two months ago, I did a real estate finance case study um, where everyone would present on the case study. Uh, a few months prior to that, we did um, Wooden's book on leadership. Um, and so it's a, it's a really well-rounded method to, uh, you know, promote learning on a per personal level while also gaining that invaluable experience in multifamily operations. Wow. So what are all the different potential rotations that uh, one of the um, students or fellows can go through? So operations and what else? Yeah. So at this point, um, we're, we're kind of shifting gears because we shifted from being an owner to being mm -hmm. a third party manager. So when we were an ownership group um, from 2010 to 2018, mm -hmm. uh, we we had a lot more flexibility with our budget. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point in time, when I joined the company, it was uh, you would start in operations, then you would rotate through procurement, mm -hmm. accounting, um, and then potentially either into marketing or acquisitions. Um, and so based off your skill set and your desires that could, those last couple rotations could be more tailored towards what you are, are gearing up for. Uh, but today, the way that it stands is, you know, really what we want is operations first, and then we're actively building out our central support capability, which I think is another facet to our company and mm -hmm. how we're doing things a little bit differently than most management shops. Um, and so we're going to rotate them through the central support team. And then we also, you know, I think in order to be a leader in any company, I think you have to understand how to acquire and retain talent. Yeah. So we're really passionate about everyone gaining some level of recruiting experience here. Um, so central support team, recruiting, and then some mix of marketing or accounting or construction mm -hmm. are kind of the, the world that we want to, we want people to go into. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of the way we have it structured today. But, um, you know, I can tell you from my experience, I held about 10 different roles okay. <laughs> in the last, in the last five years of being with this company and, um, you know, nine of which were really in the first three mm -hmm. years. So there's a lot of flexibility. It's just about a matter of need and, mm -hmm. and performance. And, you know, uh, we, we, we have the term rise uppers here. Um, if you are a rise upper, there's, there's no glass ceiling on anybody. Anyone can rise up. I think that's such a valuable program. And I say that as someone that has gone through a similar type program, not in real estate, but in healthcare. So actually went through something similar for healthcare operations where for my first two years out of college, I rotated it through different departments from operations to human resources, to strategy, to just, to just all parts of healthcare operations. And it was such an amazing opportunity to work with uh, different leaders and really understand things from a completely different perspective. Yeah. So what have been some of like the results of the program of the BizTech program? 
Well, I think, you know, one of the main benefits is you have these, these mid-tier managers, like, uh, because we've had the program for eight years now, mm-hmm. we have young people who are in relative, it's young as a relative term, right? Mm-hmm. So like anywhere from you know, 25 to 35, we'll mm-hmm. say, within this industry is pretty young. Yeah. And so you have 25 to 35 year olds who are holding mid-tier manager positions, someone like myself, who's 28 years old, mm-hmm. holding a director level position. My boss, who also started in this program, is the CEO of ResProp at this point. Wow. Um, and so wow. That's amazing. I, think, I think what you have is, you know, we talk about the well-roundedness that comes along with rotating through different capabilities and learning different parts of the business is you have this this level of communication and understanding of the scope of people and their jobs uh, that you may not have otherwise when you hire somebody off off in the market, you know, who maybe doesn't have as much, who has a lot of maybe accounting experience, but doesn't have much else, right? And so I think that with us, our, our communication internally is, is greater. I think our flexibility, you know, that ability to wear multiple hats um, and jump at the greatest need at any moment in time. Yeah. Is and then just having like empathy across, yeah. like, hey, I, I have done that before and I know what that is like, so I can understand why this person needs this like right now. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So I think those are the main benefits. And you know, now that we've had it for so long and we we have people that we've retained for that period of time, I think what we're finding is that uh, you know, we can point to those examples as for, for new associates to come into the organization and say, hey, this is where you can get to. You can be a director in five years. You can be, um, you know, a senior director or a C-suite executive maybe within eight to 10 years. And like, I think an organization that really promotes that growth internally, mm-hmm. I think is, is only going to be helpful for the future of the program and future opportunities for employees who join the company. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious, you mentioned how ResProp was able to transition from being an owner to really being in third party management. So what was that transition like? Oh, man, it was tough. <laughs> um, you know, I, people ask us all the time, you know, I'm on the bu- business development side. And so I speak with owners every day and new owners many of those days. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why did you guys stop buying deals? That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's really, you know, our, our founders, they wanted to, they wanted to go into tech. They mm-hmm. want to change the world through technology. Um, they had already made a very healthy amount of money uh, through real estate investment, and it was time to do something different. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's really what it came down to. I think the challenges of changing are, are difficult because when you're a vertically integrated owner, um, you can kind of mask your, it's kind of like having a, a family business, right? Mm-hmm a lot of your weaknesses are kind of masked by your relationships with those people, right? Whereas uh, when you use third party, you tend to hold those people to a higher standard because you're paying them to do a job. Um, And so I think for us, um, our culture as an owner operator was really strong. Um, And I think because our culture was so strong, we thought that our operations were also equally as strong. But I think when we switched to third party, we realized, oh, wow, we, we have we have a ways to go. Like we're not as good as we thought we were, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in reporting to multiple ownership entities and uh, you know, providing different marketing plans based off different business plans, mm-hmm. uh, reporting to a variety of asset managers. It it was uh, it was a shift. And I think people don't give enough uh, credit and and wait towards how different it that may be um you know and so that those were kind of the challenges that we we faced early on uh, but you know we've since worked through those things and now we're we're, we're primed and ready to rumble so are you all right now 100 percent fee management or do you still have assets that you own yourselves yeah we still have some uh 
some assets that we own. We actually have one on the market right now in South Tampa. Um, so we have about, uh, so in total, we have about 8,500 units in our portfolio. Um, about 2,500 of those are owned legacy assets um, that we're going to be holding on to long term. Um, and so, but as far as new properties are concerned, uh, where we plan to only grow through our third-party management capability. So we're not actively buying deals mm -hmm. today. So I love that point that you made about just like the difference between um, third-party and actually being an owner and how the expectations are so like different. So yeah. can you kind of walk um, me through what the third party management process is. I know that's a pretty broad question, but pretend I know nothing about the industry. Like what is yeah. a third party manager? How do you get owners to really say, hey, this is my asset, you manage it. And why do uh, owners do that? Like why do they hire third party managers versus just do everything in house? And yeah. then how do you win those deals? And how do you report to owners? So. How does third-party property management work? So give yeah, us one-on-one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question, Jude. Um, yeah, so first off, I think it's helpful to understand you know, why would an owner not have property management in-house? And the answer is because it's incredibly difficult. I think um, property management, you know, is, historically has like been like a a net even like uh, you know, where you're like not looking at that part of your your operation to make money, but you're actually just looking at at it to maintain control and 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 uh, understand where all of your dollars are going. It's hard to trust people with that amount of responsibility. Um, and so people choose third party managers or they decide to do that because they want to have more freedom to scale. Um, so like me, um, you know, say I'm an owner of real estate. I can, I have this, you know, this fork in the road where I'm going to say, Hey, one side, I can start my own management company, have a lot of control on the other side. I can go after acquisitions on, on the one where I maintain control. Let's say I can grow to, you know, maybe 500 units by the end of this year on the side where I have a third party manager, because I'm focusing all of my time towards investments maybe I could grow that portfolio to 2000 units. Hmm. So really the sell for us is like, we want to, we want acquisitions personnel to have their time back, not worry about the operation. Let us handle that. You go buy some deals so that, you know, you can continue to grow your portfolio and we will manage the heck out of them. Um, so that's like the, the main decision driver there. Um, and then I would say from a, from an accounting perspective, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, from a construction management perspective, these are very deep industries that are deep departments within the industry that you have to have subject matter experts. It's really difficult to build a world-class construction management capability. It's not as simple as going to hire a project manager, right? Yeah. You have to have you know, the ability to have localized vendor relationships. You have to have, you know, that person who's going to be on site as a superintendent overseeing the unit term process. You have to have somebody who's going to be putting together high level CapEx scopes. Mm -hmm. There's so much that goes into each one of those departments that it's really difficult to build out that capability if you're not looking to do it in the long haul. Yeah. You can't really half-ass anything. And so I think a lot of ownership groups are like, you know what? I'm just going to stick to the investment side mm -hmm. and I'm going to defer to my property manager on everything else. Um, and so, you know, that that's kind of what I've found with a lot of ownership groups um, that we work with and why they choose to use third party is because they want their time. And so hopefully that answers your question. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's like focus on one or focus on many. Typically mm -hmm. when you focus on one, much, much easier to really excel at that one thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then as a third party manager, how do you win deals? Why do owners like choose one company over another one? 
on how yeah. does a third party basically stand out. Yeah. Well, I mean, doing things like this, you know, first off, um, you know, getting our name out there um, is really important. Uh, but you, what I do, what my job is, is to work with ownership groups on the front end of deals. So, um, you know, our business development team is world-class here at Resprop. We are in the markets, underwriting all the marketed deals, almost like we're acquisitions consultants in a lot of way. And so like when an ownership group works with us, they're getting Resprop from the time that that deal is marketed with a brokerage shop to, to the time that they're invest in final, to the time that they go under contract, we handle the DD for them Mm -hmm. and then go through the budgeting process and take it over. So like, we're not just coming in towards the end of the process and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, go manage our property. There we're providing this full service capability uh, where I'm in the market, you know, sending out deals to ownership groups who, you know, that deal falls within their bucket. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing full revenue and expense underwritings for them, submarket analysis, comp reports. So a lot of the times, a lot of our ownership groups will really defer to our business development team mm-hmm. to work with them on their acquisition strategies. Wow. And so I think that's really what sets us apart when when an ownership decides to start working with us. Mm-hmm. Why they continue to work with us is because of some of the other things that we said. You know, when you go to our property, you're going to find a 25-year-old who graduated from Penn State or from UNC or from mm-hmm. University of Tampa or from University of Texas. Um, you're going to find you know, the talent of our, our regionals and our RVPs and our everyone that you're going to interact with is very turned on. We're like, we think like owners, we act like owners, but we're property managers. And so I think they stay with us because they like interacting with us. They like, hey, like these guys feel like our partners and they're they're in they're in it with us. They're not just uh, doing their job and calling it a day. Yeah. So with that approach, I mean, that's a really unique approach and also one that I don't want to say risky, but also just a lot more work. So you do all that. Um, due diligence, you reach out to find potential deals, you send that to owners. So you are doing a lot of additional work before you even have that deal or do you already have that deal to know if this goes through, we are going to get this as one of our portfolios. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, this is a, we are going to do this even if you decide to go with someone else. Yep. It's, it's a, yeah, it's not perfect, right? There's, there's definitely times where we're doing a lot of legwork um, and ownership groups are not serious about a deal or, or maybe they they don't have the equity to really make a competitive offer. And especially like in markets like Texas and Florida where, you know, institutional capital is just flowing very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's, that's something that we're actively working on, but um, it's been such a differentiator for us that, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze ultimately. And um, it's something that, you know, for us too, it's, it's fun. You know, it's fun for me to, you know, be in those conversations and work through those deals with those ownership groups. And, um, you know, and, and I, I really enjoy that part of the process. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of trial and error there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a perfect science by any means. So, um, that's a valid point for sure. Um, it's and it's something that you know, as we continue to grow, um, you know, we'd like to continue to offer this service, but we're probably going to have to um, get a little bit more, um, or a little bit more clear with our bucket of what what we can and cannot um, like do full underwritings for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So things like that. But I do, I do love that approach though, because it just shows like how serious you are about that partnership to say, Hey, we are going to do a lot of legwork, even if it's not a guarantee. And I think you're absolutely right. That does make you stand out instantly. Yeah. And yeah. And we, we also underwrite responsibly too. you know, we're property managers. So like, you know, we're not going to, I'm not going to do something just to make a deal work for a, a group 
you know, I'm going to do what we believe we can accomplish realistically with this deal. So I'm not, I'm not an acquisitions guy, right? So um, my goal is to show ownership groups where we believe we can get it to if they're willing to spend this amount of money on interior renovations, this amount of money in amenities. Um, if in the event that they agree with our strategy, we have a lot of confidence that we can go execute. But yeah, that's it's all uh, it's kind of all up in the air until uh, until you make some decisions there. Yeah. And then, what does that process look like once the owner does agree to hiring the third party? So, what happens once that signature is like done? Yeah. So typically, once an owner is awarded a deal, um, they go through due diligence. Um, so that due diligence period is where we'll do our, our unit walks um, and our, our lease audits and then our, our capital um, uh, review. So we'll we'll bring out vendors, get bids, and kind of deliver them a, a DD findings report. From there, um, they typically will go through their, their lenders and get everything approved. Um, you know, we work through the budgets with them. And, mm-hmm. and then the, the other piece is the the property management agreement. You know, typically that's the biggest uh, agreement as part of the process is the PMA, mm-hmm. uh, where you'll go through all the reimbursements, decide on which softwares they decide to use for a particular property, which ones they decide they're, they don't feel are necessary, and then kind of go forward with that. Um, once the PMA is signed, um, that's when you start the onboarding process for the property. Mm-hmm. The utility transfers, the contract transfers, um, you know, getting the uh, the the data from one property management software mm-hmm. to another, um, you know, and then the transfer of the ILSs and all of that stuff. So um, it's it's definitely a lengthy process and and one that uh, you know we we definitely don't take lightly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's 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 a little bit of a taste of what what it takes. Yeah. So then what, if anything, does RESPROP do to ease that transition for residents or to get them really excited to say, hey, RESPROP is here and we are the best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, residents are the core of our business, Mm -hmm. right? If we don't serve the residents and if they don't enjoy living somewhere, Mm -hmm. then we're not doing our job. Um, And so... You know, typically what we try to do with with most of our new um, new properties is, you know, first off, we we send out the text and email notification, and then also post physical notices on everyone's door, notifying them of the change. Um, and then, you know, I think having a, a community event, a resident event. Uh, within that first two-week period to really bring the team together, introduce them to the new on-site teammates, if there are new on-site teammates, um, to really try to build that community. Um, you know, I think another piece that we we really pride ourselves on is just, like, service. You know, like, just, you know, we want to get all work orders done within 48 hours. Um, we want to... Um, you know, have a, a, a three hour response time to any um, emergency on call wow. service. Uh, we want to uh, also, you know, make sure that as we kind of work, work through the onboarding of that property, that all of the data is very clean. I think that's something that whenever you have a new acquisition and a pro- or a management change, the data is so important. Um, you know, whether they had a balance with prior management or whether their security deposit didn't transfer over or it's always something. And so we're really, really focused on making that transition as smooth mm-hmm. as possible for the resident um, to the point where, you know, we'll actually prefer to take over you know, mid-month so that we can mm-hmm. have our property management software up and running by the time that the residents um, are ready to pay the next yeah. month, wow. you know? And so we'll, we'll like change up our whole game plan just so that they don't have any lapse in payments, mm-hmm. uh, for, for 
that new management transition. So in the industry, is it typical uh, for the tech stack to be really focused around the third party manager rather than the owner's like, uh, own tech stack? Or who gets to decide on what the tech stack is? It's the management company, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the owners decide what to pay for, mm-hmm. but the management company decides what to use. Um, yeah, so, you know, we could, you know, we, we use Resmin, for instance, mm-hmm. for our property management software. So all of our owners, because we use Resmin, they mm-hmm. use Resmin. Yeah. Um, you know, same thing with, you know, our CRM or whether or not we use Yieldstar or mm-hmm. like any of those add-ons and the tech stack, um, they all defer to their property management company. Mm-hmm unless they're a large institutional player that has um, you know, some level of like reporting requirements mm-hmm. with, with Yardi or RealPage or something along those lines. Got it. And then you mentioned a couple of really key things about how you focus so much on the resident experience, whether that's uh, completing all like work orders within 48 hours or emergencies within like 34, five, whatever hours. So a lot of property management companies like really focus on those types of things to really ensure a great resident experience. But property management is so complicated and so difficult. So how does a third party manager or an owner really go about executing to make sure that you are delivering on um, a great resident experience given that it's such a challenging industry? Like what are some of those things that you do differently? Uh, and have found to be really effective. Yeah, well, I think this goes back to the conversation over the people, Jude. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to have people who are ready to work, ready, who are turned on, ready to serve. Mm -hmm. You know, we we really pride ourselves on hiring servant leaders, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are there to like serve others before themselves, Um, you know, and having that culture, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as part of your company, I think is, a critical first step. Um, you know, maintenance is incredibly difficult. And if you want to get into something interesting, like prop tech, I think maintenance is the, the bubble that, you know, is going to burst sooner or later, okay. like, especially in some of these markets like Florida and Texas, where, you know, you can hire a, uh, a, you know, a person off the street, at McDonald's for 18, 19 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. how can you reasonably hire a skilled blue collar laborer for the same price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to pay these these guys more, but you know the investors, they don't have the budget mm-hmm. to pay them more. Um, you know, otherwise the returns are, you know, thrown in the trash. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it's a really difficult problem to solve. And I think that's something that I see a real opportunity with is like, you know, paying, uh, I, I think bridging the gap and, and bringing in software that's able to manage maintenance uh, more effectively, like HappyCo just launched a, yeah. uh, a, a maintenance fulfillment platform mm-hmm. where they like will handle uh, like 10 to 20% of your work orders. Oh, wow. Um, by texting and calling the resident to self-diagnose the issues. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, hey, they think that this is a GFCI issue. You know, they just need to press that button or this is like a filter issue. They just need Mm -hmm. a new air filter Um, or this is, you know, maybe they just need to turn on and off their breaker once Mm -hmm. and they'll be good. and so that's like something that Happy Co is doing, which that's is, awesome. uh, yeah, which is really cool. Um, something that you know, I've actually tested out in the past is this idea that, you know, it, it feels like you're either underpaying and over, over leveraging your maintenance staff or you're overpaying and under leveraging them. Mm-hmm. Like there's not like a happy like medium that can mm-hmm. float from one side to the other. You know, a nice winter day in in Austin, Texas, where it's like sixty eight degrees. Jealous. We don't. Yeah, I know you're in Chicago, so you don't know what that's like. <laughs> um, you don't. Uh, 
there there's not going to be many like heater issues or HVAC issues. Like if you're at like a 2015 property, what the heck is that maintenance guy doing there all day? He's mm. picking up some trash in the morning, cleaning up the hallway. I, like what are they doing? You know? Mm. And so like, I think there's a lot of wasted time in that space, but then on the other side of the coin, you have in the summers in Austin where it's 105 degrees, you have 10 HVAC units that go out. Then there's not enough labor in the freaking in the day or time in the day to fulfill those requests. And then you have residents who are pissed off. Um, so, you know, that's where I, I really think that there's a, there's a massive opportunity there um, to, figure out some solution to one optimize the schedule of, of your maintenance personnel to um, you know, optimize a world or, or create a world where you can automate um, anything that is too high level for the maintenance person to handle. It automatically requests like an HVAC certified person to come in and handle that request or a plumbing person. Um, and then like you can start to bridge this gap between W2 and 1099 mm-hmm. so that you can fulfill all of these needs across the board while not wasting time, you know? I mean, sounds like you have your next company idea right there. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> guy, yeah. guy, I think that just makes so much sense. Uh, it's basically puts in labor and expertise where it's most efficient. Yeah. And then I love the example of Happy Co as well, because it's the offline version of like chatbots that you have where you can self-service by diagnosing the things that are very basic, like a chatbot can handle that. And then if it's a real issue, it actually goes to a life agent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you kind of mentioned something interesting, which is um, when, the third party or the owner kind of like butt heads, whether it's over, hey, we need to pay more to get like the best talent. How do third parties typically manage those disagreements that you might have with an owner about something operational or something strategic? Yeah, that's another good question, Jude. Um, You know, I, I think that us as property managers, we're the ones hiring people. So our insights into what people cost, mm-hmm. I think uh, a lot of our ownership groups, because they trust us, mm-hmm. they defer to us on, okay, you guys are saying this, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It, the issue where we might butt heads is if, you know, maybe my information is out of date or our information is out of date on the mm-hmm. front end of a deal. And I'm like, hey, yeah, like a maintenance technician in San Antonio should cost like $19 an hour, but mm-hmm. then we can't actually hire anyone for 20 and for, and for anything under $22 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, you know, I think what we do in those cases is say like, Hey, we have a certain level of standard here at Resprop. Mm-hmm. Like if you guys want our standard, this is what that's going to cost. It's going to be X amount dollars per unit. You know, a $65,000 property manager mm-hmm. in Florida is what it's going to cost to reach our standard. Yeah. If you want us to go find somebody who is, you know, maybe doesn't quite reach our standard, but we need to fit into this bucket, mm-hmm. we can, but that's not what we would recommend. But if they say like, hey, no, I'm not paying anything more than 45000 for this, we'll, we'll you know, agree to disagree and, and keep it moving in the ownership's interest um, because ultimately they pay for those employees through mm-hmm. the property. Yeah. You know, the, the property is paying for the employees that are on site and therefore the property is the ultimate decision maker. But mm-hmm. more often than not, they will defer to us on those budgetary items because we have many more data points than they do on, yeah. on the actual cost of the employees. Um, that's awesome. And then I guess my last question for you is, what do you see um, as the future of property management? Like what are some of those like core one to three things that you predict really becoming a thing over the next few years? Yeah, 
Um, I was actually asked this question on an IMN panel here on Monday, so I'm prepared for this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so one, yeah, we talked a little bit about maintenance. Um, so you know, decreasing W-2 labor as much as humanly possible. Um, I think that that is the future of property management um, because it is, a, you know, people will combat that and say, hey, this is a people industry. This is, you know, <laughs> personal a personal level of service is required but i think we've proven time and time again with technology that people don't really know what they want until until you put it right in front of them they're like oh this is cool um and so i would say decreasing w2 labor if there was a world where maybe you could go into like a leasing like center or like just like a room that had like you know, the ability for you to sign in and put your information, you know, scan your ID and then say, hey, I'd like to view this floor plan. And then it would give you like directions to, you know, that unit. And then maybe it would be like an automatic access code that would be sent and would only be valid for five, 10 minutes or whatever. And then they would be able to self tour it. Maybe you even have, maybe it was into a model um, that, you know, you even have like a, on Amazon Alexa or something along that line, those lines that could, um, you know, give them like the the verbal part of the tour mm-hmm. as they're going through it. Um, and then the maintenance solution that we kind of talked about of like layering in 1099s to support maintenance and construction. Um, so decreasing W-2 labor, um, I think data, uh, you know, visibility, accessibility, Mm-hmm. Um, is is pretty critical, and we have all of these this tech stack that you mentioned earlier in the the podcast that you know, everyone has their own data, and mm-hmm. it's so hard to like you know connect data points from one system to another system to another mm-hmm. system. And when you're a property management shop, you have twenty of these systems. Yeah. Right? Um, so I think like a tool and and more database decision making. I think is what's going to be the future of it because um, too far, I think too frequently are we, you know, leaving it up to our guts, right. When we're making these, these decisions, you know, whether or not, you know, say Jude, another idea that I've I've thought about is Jude, you, you're living at one of our properties. You've had a great experience, you know, zero work order requests over the last year of your term. I know that you're a founder of a tech company. I know, you know, based off the submarket, what your lease lease rate at versus what the market rates are at. A system that would automate your renewal increase based mm-hmm. off your experience at the property versus uh, maybe someone like myself who lived at this property and I had eight HVAC issues, mm-hmm. like two roof leaks. And, um, you know, I'm maybe like a, in oil and gas in, you know, a time where maybe that, that market's a bit down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I would only get like a, a 2% increase mm-hmm. because the likelihood of me renewing is not very high. Yeah. Whereas maybe you would get a 15% renewal increase because the likelihood of you renewing is pretty high. Yeah. Um, so like just more database decision-making, mm-hmm. um, the decrease of W-2 labor. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think the last piece is probably just, um, there's probably a world where apartment communities become more like neighborhoods mm-hmm. than they currently are. Um, you mean like more connected neighbors or you mean? Yeah, I think like more connected to your neighbors, like more, um, yeah, like I think Amazon in Maryland has like a, um, has like a campus that mm-hmm. they're going to have a few apartment buildings on where everything's like integrated into like the work mm-hmm. life, you know, feel like, and then you have like BTR, um, you know, the built to rent communities mm-hmm. that are popping up everywhere. Um, I think like it reminds me a lot of, so I was in Singapore, like right before the pandemic. And one thing that I saw that is what you alluded to, which was really cool is that it is like 
apartments are built like neighborhoods. They have gigantic apartments um, all in one area. And then within that, they have everything that they need. And for some of them, there isn't any, there, there are no cars actually allowed within the complex itself. Like all the parking is outside. So you yeah. have a village where it's like a gold mine for kids, for just everyone, because it's yeah. so connected and just so cool and yeah. so neighborhoody. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where I, I see the industry going. And then along those lines too, I think uh, you know a, a single software. You know, maybe this is a plug for Flamingo. Um, <laughs> Uh, a single software for residents to be able to access everything that they need, whether that's rental payments, um, work order requests. That is very uh, much a plug for us. We call that our one app resident journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I do think that that's that is the future too, um, because you know I think when you get when you make it too complicated for residents, um, they don't they're going to just disregard something. Yeah. Yeah, it's what we see all over where all these apartments are offering all these really cool services, but their residents either don't know they exist or they see it and it's just overwhelming. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was such a cool conversation. So I have, I know a lot about like prop tech. I know a lot about the industry, but it's always interesting to go deep on a topic uh, like third parties and owners. So I appreciate you being on the podcast. I definitely learned a lot. Yeah, man. Um, well, Jude, I, I'd love to introduce you to some of our other teammates who also have just as many ideas as I do. Um, and you know, if you're ever interested in, in having another Resprop teammate on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.